the Apostle Paul writes, We demolish arguments and every proud thing which is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. What captivates your thoughts and attention over the course of a day? I teach education majors on campus over at UNI, and I have the opportunity to work with them during what they would probably tell you is the most stressful semester of their program. So I feel like this gives me a window into understanding some of the things that captivates the thoughts and attentions of college students, maybe some of you. Maybe you're taking 18 credit hours, or maybe you're working two jobs to pay for the ever-increasing cost of tuition. Maybe you're discerning whether you have what it takes to be successful, or let's be serious, just get a job in your future profession. Or maybe some days you are just trying to determine if that is the profession you even want to pursue. You are writing papers, reading textbooks, still trying to figure out that workaround on campus to be able to print more than one copy at UNI, all while um, dealing with or managing typical roommate dynamics, like who didn't Venmo me for utilities last month, or who keeps eating my stash of hidden ramen noodles. You know who you are. I have my own struggles with my thoughts. For those of you who know the Enneagram, I am a Enneagram 3, which speaks for itself. Um, but for those of you who don't know, that just means I'm a chronic achiever, a slave to my to-do list, and guilty of sometimes judging my worth based on how much I'm able to accomplish in a given day. Just to get up and do the same song and dance all over again. We are not alone. Studies show that we see an upwards of 4,000 ads a day. We are constantly bombarded by these voices telling us, drink this, watch this, buy this, be this. A study from Baylor University showed that college students spend an average of 7 to 10 hours on their phones a day, a number that just continues to increase in our current COVID world. And a 2016 study that maybe you've seen says that we touch, tap, and scroll our phones. Are you ready for this? 2,617 times a day. Also very gross to think about in our current COVID world. How many times have you sat down to do some homework and you have an hour, and before you know it, you have a half hour because you just spent the first half scrolling on your phone? Guilty as charged. We are distracted, hurried, and busy. And according to one of my favorite Christian teachers and authors, John Mark Comer, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. I'll repeat that. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. John Ortberg said it this way, 
For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and busy and preoccupied that we will settle for just a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Okay, so now that we're all feeling a little tense, maybe a little called out even, I know that you are here tonight because you know that there's a different way to live. A life that is not captivated by distraction and busy and achieving the next best thing. And I have the privilege of kicking off a sermon series called Breathing Room, which is about looking for ways that we can create more space and margin in our lives to truly live out God's great command for us, to love him, love ourselves, and love our neighbors. One of my favorite places to look when I need a reminder of who God is, is right at the beginning, Genesis 1. It is here that we see God as this maker, taking nothing and turning it into something. We see a creative God. You know, he could have just created the world as bland and boring, but he is creative and colorful and complex. We see God's uh, making things good. If you read Genesis 1, he says it over and over again. And I love to picture God as this master painter who gets finished creating the universe and stands back with a smile on his face and calls it good. And for those of you who know the story, what is the next thing God did after creating the universe? God took a nap. <laughs> okay, so maybe God didn't like pull down his room darkening shades and turn on his sound machine. But the Bible is pretty clear that God rested from his work. So this idea of rest is what we're going to look at tonight. See, because after God created rest, the first humans... Uh, demonstrated restlessness. God demonstrated rest, but as soon as Adam and Eve had it all, they desired more. As soon as they took their attention away from God and being captivated by his presence, we see that it was replaced by things that just led to destruction. And really, the Bible is just a story of people in this constant state of restlessness. But thankfully, God knew us then, and God knows us now. And through his son Jesus, we have this blueprint for how we can fight against the tidal wave of this restlessness in our lives today. So we're going to tonight look at some characteristics of what the Bible calls Sabbath talk about ways that we can practice Sabbath in our lives and find true rest in God. So now we're going to engage our Bibles. If you could turn to the second book of the Bible, which is the book of Exodus. And we are going to be in chapter 20, verses 8 through 11.
Okay, so after God gets done creating the universe, you know, he communicates this idea of rest through a guy named Moses and the Ten Commandments. And this is one of those ten. It says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Then later, in the New Testament, we see Jesus consistently practicing this idea of Sabbath. And this included one of my favorite run-ins, as he had many, with the Pharisees when they called out Jesus for healing a man on the Sabbath. I mean, how dare he? And as Jesus, we know, is the king of many things, including one-liners, in Mark 2.27, he said this, Sabbath is a gift for man, not man for Sabbath. So we're going to use these scripture verses and break down this passage to learn what this idea of Sabbath means and how it was demonstrated by Jesus. For those of you who don't know, the word Sabbath actually comes from a Hebrew word named Shabbat, which literally means to stop and rest. So first, God says we should observe the Sabbath. So when you think about days in a year that we typically observe, what comes to mind? For me, I think about last week when my family observed Halloween by wearing absurd Harry Potter costumes um, because we have a puppy named Harry Potter who was Harry Potter himself. <laughs> He's even wearing the glasses. You can see them. What do we love about days we observe? These are days that we look forward to. They're a break from the mundane. We plan for them and celebrate them, and we mark them with traditions that we anticipate and look forward to. Next, God says that the Sabbath is holy. So in the Bible, holy means to be set apart. We see in the Old Testament people travel to temples and build elaborate shrines as this holy place to find God. But I believe in this scripture, God is reminding us that he can be found in a day. Next, Sabbath was commanded by God. Isn't that interesting and a little silly to think that God would need to command us to rest? But in all the Ten Commandments, this is the only spiritual discipline that's mentioned. And finally, God blessed the Sabbath. What does it mean to bless something? 
I believe that when we commit to giving God a little of our precious time, that he promises to multiply it. Sabbath is our way to trust that God will take that and use it for good. So how can we apply these characteristics to our lives? A few years ago, I read a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality uh, by a man named Peter Scazzaro. And he has a four-step framework that is simple but powerful. So the first step is to just simply stop. What do you need to stop in order to find more rest? We will never finish all our goals and our deadlines and our projects. But God is on the throne managing quite well without us. I think maybe for some of us, the first step is to just call into question our busy. I feel like busy has become this buzzword. You know the conversation. You see someone you haven't seen for a while. Hey, how's it going? Oh, I've just been so busy. It's like it's become this badge of honor and sometimes a front or an excuse. But when I look at those statistics of how much my busy is defined by how much I'm on my phone, I have a feeling there's some ways that I could more meaningfully spend that in other places. So while traditionally Sabbath is a 24-hour break, of breaking course uh, one day a week, maybe a first step for you is to just stop and set some boundaries of things that are defining or distracting you. Maybe, for instance, you commit to no social media one day a week. Or maybe you plan ahead to do everything you need to for homework six days a week, so one, you can wake up without that on your shoulders. Maybe you commit to say no to commitments for one day a week. What do you need to stop in order to find more rest? Okay, so step two is rest. What does rest look like for you? Rest doesn't just mean sleeping, but thinking of things that truly restore and replenish you. Maybe that is taking a nap, but maybe it's also getting outside and going for a hike, getting some fresh air. Or maybe it's like actually going to a library and getting a real book and reading for pleasure, not for school. Maybe it's grabbing a football and going playing catch on the lawn. What does rest look like for you? And how might you plan for that rest in your life? Next is my favorite. Step three, delight. What brings you delight? After God created the universe, he stood back from his work and he delighted in it by calling it good. So Sabbath rest is our way of stopping our lives enough to be able to see and delight in God's goodness. How cool that we worship a God that cares about our delight. So instead of consuming your thoughts with deadlines and projects and 
all these things that make you busy. Let's be set apart in this. Imagine if we lived our lives captivated by delight. What would you do for 24 hours that would fill your soul with deep joy and delight? And lastly, contemplate. How can I pay attention to God's work in this world and in my life? When we stop and rest from the noise in our lives, we have space to draw closer to God and notice all that he's doing. This doesn't mean you have to spend the whole day in prayer or reading scripture, although I would encourage some of those things to be a part. But John Mark Comer says that true worship and joy start with the capacity to turn our mind's attention toward the God who is always with us in the now. On Sabbath, we intentionally look for him in everything, from the food that we eat to the people to cute little babies in church to sports teams and hobbies and music. And you can't help but say, thank you, God. So a warning, though, that if we did all of these things, so if you're like, sorry, roomies, I'm not doing dishes on Sundays, or I'm not going to do that homework assignment today, or I'm going to have this great Netflix binge and get some chicken wings and watch some football or maybe get a pedicure and really treat myself. But you don't stop long enough to sit in God's presence. Eugene Peterson calls that a bastard Sabbath. See, the point is that you are creating a place where you can find rest from the noise so that you can feel awake to God. Have you ever had days when you just feel more awake to it all? When you smile more, or you notice how beautiful the leaves on the trees look, or you like really look in the face of a stranger, and you just see God in the details? I love when poet Mary Oliver says, I do not know how to pray, but I do know how to pay attention. How can I pay attention to God's work in his world and in my life? So what does this idea of Sabbath look like for me? So my favorite kind of Sabbath starts with a Trader Joe's chocolate croissant. They're amazing. And some like fancy pour over coffee. And then it ends with like candles on the table and a really great meal with my family. And then in between, family church and a devotional with my kids. Maybe a walk outside with Harry Potter. Maybe a nap or a couple of chapters of a book with my son. These are anchors that make the day special. Things that we do every week that we look forward to and anticipate. Far more than, you know, like the Quick Star coffee and a donut on a rush Monday morning. I don't always get this right, but the achiever in me will tell you that when I do, it refuels me more than any productive Sunday ever could. 
Remember what Jesus said, Sabbath is a gift. And it's ours for the taking that we should unwrap with awareness and gratitude. I asked a few people in my life um, to share what they thought of when they thought of Sabbath. And I loved the ranges of responses I got. So I will share them. My son Cruz is 11. And I loved that he said, playing catch with a football with dad in the backyard. That is Sabbath to me because I'm not worried about competing with others to see who's on top. I'm just outside enjoying time together. My daughter, Mila, is seven, and she said, a hike through the woods with hot cocoa. Amen, sister. I love that my friend Ashley talked about nature. I always relish nature on Sundays, she says. It seems especially sweet. Whether I'm able to be fully immersed in it, enjoying it while my kids are in activities, or merely looking out the window, there is a time frame for all. And my sister-in-law, Kate, she just had a baby. So rest is like very few and far removed from her life. She said homemade waffles or frozen eggos if the baby's awake. <laughs> Tears of flowing during worship at church. Chicken wings after and napping when the baby naps. Stop, rest. Delight and contemplate. Sabbath is a gift that God demonstrated from the very beginning. A day or a time frame that is holy and that he promises to bless. So no matter what is on your plate, and I know some of you are carrying heavy loads, I just encourage you to start small. Where in your life can you stop, rest, delight, and contemplate? Use that space to create a Sabbath mindset. It is worth it. It can transform a heart of restlessness to restfulness. And I will end with a quote from John Mark Comer. He says that the Sabbath is the day I feel most connected to God most connected to my family, to my soul. It's the day I feel most awake and yet most at peace. The day I expect joy. And it sets the tone for every week after. Will you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for giving us rest. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who showed that rest. And we ask that you turn our hearts in what might be the busiest time of year to look for ways that we can stop and rest and delight and contemplate in who you are. God, we thank you for this community of people who inspire us and challenge us and encourage us to be captivated not by the things that lead to destruction, but to be captivated by you. Just ask that you press on our hearts ways that we can 
rest well and find more of you in that process. In your name, amen. So Carter asked if I would give you a few minutes for some reflection time. So I have a slide up here with some questions and the band's gonna play. I, mean, I just encourage you to think of one or two small steps that you can take to find greater rest in what I know is a very not so restful time of year.